We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Welcome to the new and hopefully improved Making Queer History podcast. I am Laura, one of your new hosts, and the other new host is... Me, Will. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and Will uses... I use they, them, theirs pronouns. So we're going to be your new podcast hosts. As most of you know, Grace has left, and we're going to be replacing her and rebooting the podcast at the same time. We're going to have more of a casual format. And more of a conversational tone. So even if we can't bring you new information, we'll bring you a new point of view to look at the information at. And hopefully that will be very exciting. I am excited. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Glad to hear it. And for those of you who don't already know this, Will is my fiancé. I am marrying this person. But we will try our best to keep all of our lovey-dovey conversations out of the podcast. I'm not going to try it all. I know. I know you. We also have a new microphone, which you should be excited about. And we're, alongside the podcast, going to have an interview with every single Project of the Month we're going to do. So the runners of the projects that we look at for Project of the Month are going to be interviewed here. I'm going to interview them personally. Will is going to be doing other things. We all we already have some interviews with some project runners up. So you including can... um, Queering Up History. And our latest one, which is going to be with Procyon Podcast. So check that out. And get excited for more. So right now, though, we're going to actually come back to the podcast and we're going to be looking at more than one article for this podcast, which is not going to be a regular thing. It's just a now thing. We're starting with our Queer Media Throughout History series, where we started at the very beginning of Queer Film, which is Magnus Hirschfeld in Different from the Others. And then we're going to move on to the other articles that were written in the series. Which are about uh, Queen Christina, the movie with uh, Greta Garbo. And then the last one is going to be about how we predict the future of queerness in media. Also about the Hexer Show. The Hexer Show, which we were both very excited about. I am about. the most excited about the Hexer Show. I'm too You're I'm pretty excited too, but I'm the most excited. I cried. Well, it's competition now. I'm going to be <laughs> more excited than Will, and I'm going to be very visibly more excited than Will. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, anyways, <laughs> let's start at the beginning, and let's do a quick review of Magnus Hirschfeld's project, Different from the Others. Well, first, let's do an overview of Magnus Hirschfeld, for those of you who don't know. Magnus Hirschfeld was a scientist from Berlin who was also Jewish and gay, which is two things that scientists in Berlin during that time were not wanted to be because he was living during the rise of Nazis, which is... So being both gay and Jewish was like not not a good position to start out in, but he did incredible things. He really did. And this is something not many people know about, but actually during that time, right before World War II, right before the rise of Nazism, Berlin was like a hub of queer activity and queer projects, including the one that Magnus run, which was the Institute of Sexology. Which is just did amazing things with research and... And also pra more practical things like 
hiring queer people and giving queer people a place to live or giving transgender people gender confirmation surgeries. It had very practical steps. One of the practical steps that they took was working to repeal paragraph 175. And that, this film was a huge part of that because basically, you know, spoilers, well, a lot of spoilers, that's the point of the film. The paragraph 175 is about homosexual relationships not being legal. Mm -hmm. Specifically, it is about relationships between two men. Or two people that society perceives as men. Exactly. And he was working to repeal that paragraph, and he worked through this film, he acted in it, he produced it, and he helped to write it. So he was like Tom Wiesel. Except less straight. Synonyms, basically, what you said. <laughs> um, he worked with this film, and it was a really interesting film to watch. And you can actually watch it on YouTube, which I think is a really amazing thing, because Nazis literally tried to destroy this film. They burned it. We have it on YouTube. And I suggest that everyone who can watches it. I do want to put um, a content warning. They do discuss and show suicide and suicidal behavior and homophobia. So just watch out for that. I'll admit I have not watched it yet. I might one day. Oh, I also wanted to point out, we don't have a full version of the film. The full version of the film has been destroyed. What Magnus Hirschfeld did is he hid parts of it in different films so that one day we could put them all together and have a semi-constructed film. There's still bits missing and you can sort of notice it if you watch the film. Also wanted to warn everyone, we are going to be talking major spoilers. It's a very old film, so I'm not sure if I need to tell anyone this, but we're going to be talking about the content and everything about this film. So if you can't handle that, watch it and then come back. But basically in this film, uh, there's a character named Paul who is in a relationship with one of his students. The film itself highlights how blackmail is made much easier by paragraph 175 existing because blackmail was also a crime at that time. And since people could blackmail you with, you know, being gay, you couldn't report them because if you reported them, then they could be like, oh, but you're gay. So we're going to imprison both of you. And this happened a couple of times in real life. And so my historical decided like, to make a film about it to show people how unfair and terrible it was. Exactly. One thing that he warned against was this happening in politics. It's actually interesting because much later on during the Cold War, this topic was brought up again, except it was used against queer people in that queer people should not be allowed to serve in government because their identities can be used as blackmail. Huh. So it was shown that like queer people were untrustworthy. So it's interesting to look at how these two things were seen at completely different angles where one person was saying we should make queerness legal, this particular avenue of queerness legal, so that no one can be blackmailed. The other side of it, the homophobic side, was like, we should make queerness absolutely banned from our governmental services because people can be blackmailed from it. So it's just sort of interesting to look at that. And in that film, they look at how this blackmailer destroys Paul's life. And in the end, Paul commits suicide. And it's a very interesting, what I find most interesting, honestly, is when Paul is in the trial and Magnus Hirschfeld convinces the judge that Paul isn't really a criminal and that he doesn't really have any, he hasn't done anything wrong by being himself. And the judge agrees due to the paragraph 175, he has to send this call to some punishment of some form. And in the film, he does give him the smallest punishment possible, but Paul kills himself anyway, because when he comes back to his family, 
he's completely shamed. He's dragged, his name's dragged through the mud. He's never going to be hired again. Something that's also interesting is that this trial actually mirrors one that happened in real life in Magnus Hirschfeld's life. He was traumatized by it. He fought for someone not to be tried under paragraph 175, and in the end he lost. Though, in the same way, the judge agreed after Magnus Hirschfeld's speech that it wasn't a crime that should end with jail time. He still had to put him in jail because it was proven that he was a gay man. And in prison, the man killed himself. So there was a lot of personal experience in this for Magnus Hirschfeld. And you can see that because he uses the film as a vehicle for speeches. There is one point in the courtroom where he has a speech. And there's another point in um, a university classroom where he has a speech about all these different genders and all these different sexualities. So they're very interesting. And there'd be progressive things to be seen in a film now, honestly. But seeing it in a film from all the way back then is pretty incredible, if I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah. It has elements that no modern film would ever think about including. Exactly. Especially with, like, the very, very specific and open discussion surrounding different sexualities and genders. Mm -hmm. And another thing is that, like, everyone who was involved in this film was either queer themselves or they were intense allies. They were not, you know, the allies who only come to the pride parades. If you were an ally during that time, you were intense or you weren't. It's really interesting to look at a film that's made only by people who are very passionate about queer representation versus one of the films we see nowadays, which is made by sometimes straight people are involved, sometimes allies who aren't really that into it are involved, and generally don't have, like, queer writers. So it's interesting to look at the differences and how they display themselves in the film. And that is connection to The Hexer Show, where a lot of the creators and a lot of the actors also are queer. Exactly. And we're just seeing ourselves get back to that, which is really interesting because sometimes you look at history as a straight line up. Things get easier, but that's just not accurate at all because it keeps going up and down and it twists and it turns and it's not linear. It's just not. And you can very much see that in there because we're just getting back to having an not all queer, but majority queer cast or a majority queer writer team. We're just getting back to having these very progressive scripts that, you know, exist in Berlin. But at the same time, Berlin was also not as progressive as we are today in many other ways, including, you know, Nazis. Yeah, that's a very good point. We always have to bring it back to that because Nazis still existed. There were a lot of queer people, but Nazis also existed. And also queer Nazis existed, which is horrifying but a very real thing that we have to absorb and learn from. Mm -hmm. So that's basically our first article. That's what we talked about there. And then in our second and third article, we talk about the movie, which is a movie about one of my favorite people from history, King Christina. (laughs) King Christina was a transgender person who is from Sweden and super great. You should read our article about her. And you should actually probably watch Queen Christina. Someone else who's in Queen Christina is Greta Garbo, another person who I'd love to do an article on. She was very, very famous at this time. And it was really interesting. People were really into her because they had just moved from just moving film to talkies where, you know, people talked. And Greta Garbo was a huge attraction because no one had heard her talk before. And this was only her third or fourth film talking. And people were very interested in her voice and how it was going to come out because she had a very distinct Swedish accent for a very long time. 
So she basically got a lot of control in the studio. She and a former lover, former slash present slash murky waters lover wrote this script and they worked very hard to get it going. They also had her former fiance as the male um, romantic lead. Queen Christina is a movie about, well, Queen Christina and about her I think throughout the movie, she just has a love interest and loses said love interest and gets another love interest. Something like that. Yes. Uh, Queen Christina, throughout the film, she starts out single and complaining that she's going to die a bachelor. She has one sort of love interest. She's not explicitly love interest, but was an explicit love interest in actual history, Ebba. And in the film, you get to see them kiss on the lips though it is not portrayed as a romantic act because, you know, Kissing on the Lips had a different historical context at that point, but it was still seen as something and it was still definitely coding. And you see them kiss on the lips, you see them hanging out all the time, and she gets in all this huge huff because Ebba is talking to someone who she wants to be her husband and she's calling Christina possessive and jealous. All things that you would call a former or current lover, which again, queer coding. But moving on, after that, she leaves um, and goes horseback riding and runs into someone who's, you know, going over to an inn. And she helps, they are stuck in the snow with their carriage and she helps them get out, thinking that she is just another man on the trail. They give her a coin, a Swedish coin, which you see her look at and smile as she sees her own face on it, which I think is hilarious. But Everyone's under the pressure. She's a boy and she follows them to the inn. So they're all in the inn and her and one of the guys flirt a whole bunch and then sleep together. He throughout that finds out that she has a vagina and boobs. And then after that, they go back to her kingdom. She sleeps with them. There's rebellion, da, 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 plot, plot, plot. And her lover and someone who is a jilted lover of hers get in a battle, her current lover dies, and then she just leaves and sails away. She abdicates, which is very similar to what she did, except there was no male lover. Wow. In reality, what happened was everyone was like, hey, you should marry your cousin so that you can have a king. But she not wanting to give up power, also not wanting to get pregnant because she was horrified by pregnancy, also not wanting to sleep with a guy, said, mm, how about I don't do that? How about instead I adopt my cousin, make him my son, and then abdicate giving him the throne? And then she went around the world and was very royal still. She still pretended she was royalty, which I think is hilarious. But anyways. I would do it. Yeah, same. So that is the story of Queen Christian. And the story of the film itself, though, is obviously a lot of queer coding, including very large things like the kiss on the lips her masquerading as a guy, because in the film, she is presented as female. Though in reality, it's much more possible that she was transgender in the film itself. She's presented as female, but probably bisexual. Yeah, and then there are certain points where you see like her clothing and she looks very male, dresses in like traditionally male clothing. There are many actual fake outs throughout the movie of you seeing her from behind thinking it's a guy and then seeing it in front of me like, oh, it's Queen Christina, awesome. She also had 
um, a serving staff of men instead of women because usually they have handmaidens, but she, advisors, and men surrounding her, all except for Eva. Um, and then there are the more subtle things like her having two large dogs, which is coding for lesbians at the time. Her, you know, wearing men's clothing. There is also the scene where she she gives herself traditionally male attributes by in a discussion where no one else she's conquest with Christina. People are discussing the queen's uh, sexuality and the amount of lovers she's had. And they say she's had how many? I think it's nine and six. Six and nine. Yeah, six or nine lovers. And they're discussing trying to figure out how many lovers Queen Christina has actually had. But Queen Christina, in the end, um, pretending to be a noble, stands on the table and she says, I can settle this for you. She has had 12 lovers. Which is a very traditionally, which is very very often traditionally viewed as a male attribute, having many lovers sleeping around. And being proud of having many lovers and sleeping around. So it's a very common thread throughout the movie where she keeps coming back to these traditionally male attributes and this traditionally masculine attributes and traditionally masculine desires and likes. Mm -hmm. Another one of the things that I noticed is that the only time where she really like stops being angry or stops being annoyed or in love with Eva is when she finds a new lover. It's not, you know, when she has something else going on, it's because she's found a new lover. So it's portrayed as her moving on from Emma as a romantic way instead of her moving on as a friend. Because in friend she'd probably still be angry. But after she finds a romantic lover, she forgives Eva and moves on. Which is I thought was a really interesting aspect of the film. It's a really great film. Y'all should check it out. It's not 100% accurate in the terms of Queen Christina and historical accuracy, but... There's also the fact that they included Ebba at all. Because, again, they weren't that historically accurate. They made up a male lover completely. Including Ebba was something they could have avoided, but they didn't. They chose to include her female lover, and they were as explicit as they could be. The reason they couldn't be completely explicit was because of the Hayes Code. The Hayes Code. The worst. So the Hayes Code was um, a code that was created by Christians. It was a bunch of Christians who set forth uh, certain rules for Hollywood and movie making. So it wouldn't become immoral or evil. It only became something that was very strictly enforced after this movie was made. So this was movie was created in a time called pre-code. The code existed, but it was was not enforced. So while these things were allowed to happen, and they probably needed to happen sort of quietly. Exactly, which is why everything was coding and why nothing was explicit and obvious. And they used this language that now we can look back at it and be like, those are stereotypes. But at that time, it was a way that queer people could communicate to each other. You know, specifically lesbians or bisexual women would dress in more masculine ways sometimes to sort of signal to other queer people who happen to be there that they are gender nonconforming queer. And they show that in film. And it was this queer code that everyone talked through. We are so used to seeing this queer code that soon the studio saw it too. And then the studios were capitalistic and awful and homophobic and took advantage of it, creating queer coding. That's a thing we still see today a lot of. Definitely. And queer coding used those same things that used to be codes and now become 
in their hand become stereotyped. One of the most obvious examples of this is probably Disney, though there is a Hitchcock film that is more close to uh, Queen Christina's Chimes that you should should check out. I'm blanking on the name, but I'll leave it in the description. They should check out that is more accurate in that it's very close to the time that Queen Christina was made. So you can very much see parallels where these two um, gay men are very much heavily coded as queer and they're also murderers. And this is what they did. You could queer code things, but you had to queer code the bad guys. So it told straight kids that gender non-conforming and queerness was a negative trait, and it told queer kids that they were monsters. Yeah, and it's still a thing that we can see in Disney, uh, like just in Moana. Yeah, in Moana, it's a particularly rough one with Tamatoa, this um, crab that you see, well, this god crab sort of thing. And the god crab is actually very effeminate, it likes sparkly things, it's greedy. These are all traits that were associated and still are associated with queerness in stereotypical ways. And it's used to sort of suggest that, you know, gender nonconformity is a bad thing. One of the most damning parts of Tamatoa is something said by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who should have done better. I love him, but he could have done better. He mm-hmm. explicitly said that Tamatoa is based off of David Bowie, a bisexual man. Yeah, definitely. And his gender nonconformity is known far and wide. Exactly. And when a queer person owns it, it is a part of their identity and it is a part of something that's important to them. It defines them as a person. But when but when the character is coded with it and then stereotyped as bad, that is very damaging to both kids and the community. Exactly. Especially with effeminacy is one of the most obvious ones. You can see it in a lot of other Queer villains like Jafar, Gaston. Oh, Gaston, yeah. And that will bring us into another thing of being angry at uh, Disney. But just one second before we get into how angry we are over Beauty and the Beast. There is a way to do queer coding right. That sounds controversial, but there is. Because sometimes you can explicitly say a character's queer. And I think almost exclusively the only people to have done queer coding right have been queer people because they understand that. They understand that history, they understand the feeling of being in that theater and seeing this character who looks like you, who is the evil person. With uh, Moana, one of the things that very much bothered me is that Lin-Manuel Miranda, again, I love the man. I really believe he's smart enough and I really believe that he wants to be a great ally to the queer community, but that's the thing. He's very visible about trying to be an ally to the queer community but he's not doing that work of checking beforehand because he should have checked. He should have done research into this. And honestly, I would love to sit down with Lin-Manuel Miranda and have a long talk with him about this and just gently be like, hey, Lin, stop making your villains queer. It, It has a history with our community and you need to stop. So if anyone wants to send this podcast to Lin, please do. So, you know, he can email me and we can have that chat about why next time he shouldn't and this time he should apologize for it. At Lynn, email us. Come back to us and we will explain you where you went wrong and we can help you improve for the exactly. better. Because we think that, you know, there is room and possibility for improvement. There always is. Anyways, moving on from my lecture of Lin-Manuel Miranda, we're going to talk about Beauty and the Beast. I have so many opinions about Beauty and the Beast. 
and specifically their what they when they talked about it, the producers and everyone who was in the movie, they talked about this showing of Lafoe as queer was the most revolutionary, most incredible, and just very amazing to have that sort of representation in a movie. And I'll admit that when people first said there would be a queer character in the Beauty and the Beast live action movie, I was the most excited. I was so ready. Because maybe it would be the clock. Maybe it would be the candle holder. Who knows? I didn't. And then it came out that it was the sidekick of the villain. The foe. His name means the fool. His name literally means the fool, which is not a good thing to call a queer character. Specifically, what we need to look at is the history of the queer community in regards to Lafoe. Because if this was only Lafoe, it would be fine. If Lafoe was the only queer villain, it'd be fine. But as we talked about, queerness has systematically been used in film. Queer traits equal bad guy. Gender nonconformity equals bad guy. Um, Same-sex attraction equals bad guy. So having a queer character, again, one more time, being a bad guy or the sidekick of the bad guy is still really hurtful. And it's not just the only voice in the conversation. It's the 500th voice to say the same thing to children, to tell children again that queerness and gender nonconformity, that's a thing that villains do. That another thing that I just remembered when we were talking about Disney, Little Mermaid bad guy, What's her name in English? Uh, Ursula. Ursula. Also queer-coded, heavily so, and... Based off the drag queen. Divine. So again, literally based off the drag queen, literally based off a queer person, and here we are telling kids that these people are the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And that's a subconscious way of telling kids queer people are the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And it's damaging. It's damaging in how kids treat each other, how kids treat gender roles and how queer kids grow up. Because while I was very lucky in that my mom didn't let me watch Disney movies, most kids have that a part of their childhood. It's this shared consciousness of Disney movies that, you know, people can relate to. They're like, oh yeah, who didn't watch A Little Mermaid as a kid? So all of these kids got the same message and most of them without even knowing it. So that includes queer kids and that includes straight kids. And that affects both of them in negative ways. So Disney needs to fix itself at some point. It definitely does. And hopefully that will be soon. Sooner than later. Hopefully. But those are all the negative things in queer coding. But we have to get back to Queen Christina, which was not the beginning of queer coding, but one of the more obvious examples of it, where it was just a way for queer people to talk to one another that was taken advantage of by corporations. And now there's this whole new way of queer coding that is called queer baiting. All right. I'm not even really angry for to talk about queer baiting. So first, I want to point out something that I found hilarious while, you know, Googling and reading up about queer baiting. The entire Tumblr tag for queer baiting is almost exclusively filled with Sherlock Holmes content. Makes sense. I thought Sherlock specifically, right? We're talking Sherlock specifically. Oh, Sherlock the show by Stephen Moffat specifically, yes. And I feel like supernatural should also be in the tag in the tag though. There was yeah, there were definitely some supernaturals. But it was predominantly Sherlock, Stephen Moffat. So to explain queer baiting for those who don't know, it's using queer coding and queer codes to suggest that a character is queer. 
but never actually do that follow through. And this is a way for show creators and showrunners to draw in viewers, promising something that will never happen. And since we're so used to looking for ourselves in subtext and codes, we look for it in all of our things. So it is subtext. Sometimes other people, most of the time, honestly, other people, especially straight people, don't even notice it happening. But we do because we've been trained to. I've talked to a lot of straight people in my life. And then whenever I mention, oh yeah, I see this thing in this character, they're like, what? No, that's just stereotyping. You're just stereotyping. I'm like, no, no, I'm seeing it. I am queer. I see this queer. Exactly. Because we've been, you know, we've been working so hard to find representation for ourselves. So we're, we're giving like a hint. We're like, oh, we're here. We're here. We're ready to listen to this. We're ready to look at this to like have that hint of representation. But in the end, it's damaging because specifically with Sherlock, because let's just not, let's just rag on them because Sherlock's the worst. And I want to personally fight Stephen Moffat in the parking lot of a Wendy's. Live your dreams. Thank you. I'm very excited for when this happens. Someone set that up. Someone set up me and Lynn Mumrell having a calm chat and also me fighting Stephen Moffat in the parking lot of Wendy's. Whoever the managers of those two people are, please work on it. Okay, so let's look at Sherlock. They queer baited hard. Like all, all of the characters. I'm not gonna look at one specifically. But after they queer baited, the really damaging thing is they mocked us. I didn't personally like Sherlock that much, but they mocked their fan base for seeing what they were shown. Was it the beginning of the first episode of season three? Yeah, where they have they film sort of fan types of Sherlock come up with these ridiculous ideas. Yeah, and then they mock them for being ridiculous. One of which including Sherlock and Moriarty ending up together, and then after this theory has been put out in the show, they laugh at it and they mock it and they say, this can't happen. This is wild. This is the most, most unbelievable thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Even after they explicitly talked about the things that made Moriarty queer looking, queer coding, they looked at the queer codes, even they're like, they thought it was hilarious that we'd suggest that because you said he was gay, that we'd expect there to be a gay coupling. Exactly. And honestly, it can be very damaging because, you know, they're telling queer people in a very small way, saying, you know, no, we have someone here for you. We have this representation, which we sorely need. And then they're being like, mm, no, you suck and you're stupid for thinking that we'd give this to you. Exactly. Which is very damaging to especially young queer people because it tells them that their identity is a joke and that... You know, they don't deserve that representation. So that's all the different types of queer coding. And it's hard to find good types because I believe good types exist. Again, example, Queen Christina, where they use the codes to talk to each other. But at this point, the Hayes Codes doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. And I get that studios exist and sometimes they get in the way of creators. But there shouldn't be queer coding anymore. It's not against a lot to put queer people in. and. We deserve representation. We definitely do. And it's not saying that representation will come and then never actually doing it is so harmful and very tiring. It is. And as queer people, we're constantly looking for ourselves in things. And the search can be really long and it can be a real struggle. It is. Especially seeing, like, look at our major things. Like, our two things are thinking that there are queer people and surprise, no, they're not. Let's make fun of the queer people for thinking they deserve representation. And then the queer people that we are given die. 
And while those things should be explored, they have been explored. We don't need to keep looking at them. Like, pretending like we still have more to see. There are still new ways to tell me about how I deserve to die and how I'm going to die and how I'm going to be miserable is useless. And it's damaging. And it's honestly homophobic. And it's queerphobic, depending on, you know, which identity you're slamming this day. Yeah, there are also good shows coming. They are. And those are the shows we should be looking at and we should be really supporting. So, you know, while there is the obvious example of queer bathing in Captain America Winter Soldier, instead of supporting that, let's look for actual queer representation that is explicit and as obvious as you can get in shows like How to Get Away with Murder. Sense8. Sense8. Rest in peace. One of my favorite shows that got cancelled. The Get Down. The Get Down. I want another one of your favorite shows that also got cancelled. At Netflix, stop. Stop being homophobic, Netflix, please. We're seeing you, we're seeing you, and we know that you're being homophobic. <laughs> but we need to support those shows. And more importantly, we need to support those shows with queer creators. Because queer creators generally aren't in charge of queer stories. That's just how it works. And when they are, we should support them hardcore. So, so moving on to the, the Hexer Project. Show. The Hexer Show, the Hexer Project, whatever. Either or. Either way, they're amazing. They put out a pilot episode so far. I'm not sure when their next episode is coming out. But they're on Patreon. They used to be on Kickstarter, and they're on Seed and Spark. I think they're still gathering up the money they need to continue. But I am supporting them, at least. Yes. We love them. We love them so much. And their first episode is very exciting. It has explicitly queer characters. I have talked with the people. You can check out our interview with them um, on the website on makinggreenhistory.com. And you can check our interview and article and media review of that project because it's a great project and it deserves support. It definitely does. So and you should also check out on Patreon for it. And watch it on YouTube if you can afford. But yeah, it's such great show and I've only watched a pilot but it is a really incredible show and what it does it, it's, it gives really good representation to both queer people and people of color and people struggling with mental illnesses which is really revolutionary to watch on screen. It is and it's a web series right now and we're hoping that it gets more and more funding because it really really deserves it. it has great writing team but that's the thing we should be supporting that's where we put our money because Looking at this history that we have, queer media hasn't gotten that far. It just hasn't, in reality. It's more like it's gone backwards. Yeah, in many ways it's gone backwards, and in some ways it's gone forwards. And the way to keep pushing it forwards is to make your support clear. It's to go on social medias and support queer-run and queer-centered shows. It's to pay for queer-run and queer-centered shows. I'm a huge fan of pirating. I know you. I see you, but sometimes we gotta shell out that money just to support our queer family. So we can have that good queer representation and so that corporations, cause we live in a capitalist system, corporations can see that, yeah, this works. This is something that will bring in money because right now what the thing they're looking at is queer people will come into the theater for the hint, the slightest hint of queer coding at all. The slightest hint of queerness, but Christian, awful, homophobic people won't come in the theater if they know there's a queer person in there. So queer people are more likely to spend money on a non-queer film than 
homophobic people are willing to spend money on a queer film. So the best way to get money is to queer bait and keep everyone as straight as possible. And it's very clear that that's what most studios are doing because it's the easiest way, but we need to show them that it's not easy and it's not always going to trick us and it's not always going to catch our interest. So support the ones that are explicitly queer. And yeah, it's time to turn this trend around and watch movies like Moonlight and... Honestly, it's so hard to think of any movies. Okay. Yeah. Um, Moonlight. Pride. Pride, yes. Girls and Horses. <sighs> Girls and Horses. Girls and Horses you should watch, but there's a tiny bit of self-harm trigger warning. Yeah, but watch it. It's so you should still watch it. It has no plot. I love it. And it's German. And it's German. But there, there is queer content that exists. We have to look for it, though. We can't keep settling for less. We can't keep settling for queer baiting. We can't keep settling for queer coding. Because at this point, we're never going to get better. We got to turn the trend and we got to turn the tide ourselves. Exactly. Because surprisingly to no one, oppressors don't stop oppressing because they realize it's wrong. They stop oppressing because we tell them and because we force them and because we can show them with our protest signs, with our social media posts, with our dollars, that we are not going to support them if they are homophobic or perpetuate these homophobic practices. So give your support to actual queer creators. And if you want to do that, you should definitely check out our website, not only to support us, which you should do, but we have our Projects of the Month program, where we, every month, look at a project run by queer people that is focused on queerness, and we look at it, we review it, we interview the creators, and then we show it to you guys so that you guys can decide if you want to support it or not. And all the ones we've done so far have been incredible, and they deserve everyone's support. And they're a great way of showing that, you know, queer projects can be successful. And the queer, queer community should back up their own. We should. We should have each other's backs because that's why communities exist at all. And that's how we're going to get through this. Onwards and upwards. Exactly. So you should definitely look to support some queer creators, whether that's us, whether that's something big like the Trevor Project, whether that's something smaller like Paxer or queering up history. Anything you do matters, even if it's just sharing it on social media, or even if it's just watching it or viewing the articles by yourself. They're important, and it really affects how companies and corporations and everybody, what projects they look to to support next. Because if they realize that queer projects are getting the support, they're going to start supporting queer projects. And that is a good promise for the future. Exactly. So that is our first podcast. That's all we have to say for now. We will be back probably next month. Probably next and month. And talk more. We will. This was a pretty long one, so I hope you're all happy with that. Leave us comments and constructive criticisms, please. Either on our email. At queerhistorypatron at gmail.com. Or on any social media. We are on Facebook. Instagram. Tumblr. We have our own website at www.makingqueerhistory.com where you can leave comments on our articles and our podcasts. Also, biggest thing that I just remembered to mention, Patreon. Support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash queerhistory and support our project. And for as little as $4 a month, you can help us create this content and help us keep going and growing. So thank you all for tuning in. 
And I want to thank Will for helping me out today. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Take care. We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We're living, we breathe, and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will continue. Yes, we will improve. Making Every step we're taking is history